This is the Behind the Micah podcast, where we discuss Jesus, community, and everyday life. I'm your host, Micah Stephen, and our goal is always to take people from where they are to where they need to be. Thanks for tuning in. Hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, welcome to Behind the Micah podcast. This is episode 29, and uh, I'm really excited because we're getting very close to 30 episodes, which is what my goal was from day one. We started doing this this podcast all the way back in February, and here we are uh, almost in August, and we're, we're getting very close to the end. But I got a great friend of mine who is on here today. He preaches at... Uh, the Mount Bird Church over in Milton, Kentucky. Aaron Snelling's his name. Aaron, it's so good to have you on the show today. Hey, bud. It's good to be here. Thank you, bro, for giving me this opportunity. I'm, I'm happy to be a part of uh, your 30 goal. It's like the 30, 30 club. Yes. Yeah. I don't know why 30. It just, it just felt like a good number. Maybe I only, maybe I count down. I'm like, man, I only got like 30 friends, so I got to get 30 guys on here. I don't know, but either way, uh, man, it's so good to have you on. Uh, so, I'm trying to think back of how many years that me and you have known each other. It's been, it's been a while. We've known each other for a long time. Um, We certainly, I know how we met. We certainly met through ministry. uh, And, but but how many, how many years have we known each other for you think? Well, uh, from a distance, I go way back with your family and through your aunts and and your grandfather. Um, I've been in the area now 21 years so for sure that long yeah 21 years and uh, we go back that far on a more intimate way in a more intimate way where we directly relate to one another yeah yeah so you've been um you've been preaching over in milton kentucky now for how how many years have you been in in at mount bird you said 21 years 21 years okay Uh, that's exciting. That's big. Well, it is. It is. When the average length is three to five years of ministry located, uh, uh, I've uh, went four times that. So yeah. only God do such a thing. I'm grateful and God be praised. Well, so you're kind of a big deal in the, in the Milton area. You're kind of the, we're oh, just, we, we were talking earlier, me and you were talking earlier about Matt Sullivan being the, the main man in Shoals. That must be you and Milton, Aaron Snelling. Well, I, I can't say that, but I know a lot of people. Um, and I'm blessed to have that relationship with the community. So I'm curious. So you said you've been there for 21 years. How many years total have you been in ministry for? I started in the ministry in 1990. So I am at 30 years. Wow. Where did you start? Where was your, where was your first ministry? The first located ministry was in Gallatin County. Mm-hmm. It was kind of uh, almost two churches side by side. I went to one but eventually ended up going to the one about two miles from there. And that's where I began, I would say, on a permanent basis. Um, The other one might have been interim, but uh, it was a place called Scenic View Church of Christ up 42. You might know where it is up above. That that would be officially my first called ministry. Um, Just kind of by default that wasn't too far or you just was like you really liked the area or how, how did that how did that play out well uh, as you know i grew up in southeastern indiana so um as i graduated from high school and went into college um 
I met people along the way. Uh, and one thing led to another, Hey, you know, we've got a church over here that's looking for someone. Um, would that, would you be interested in a part-time ministry? And that's kind of how it went. Okay. Awesome. So, okay. So, so let me go back just a little bit. Um, tell me a little bit about your, your upbringing. Like, like when did you know that, Hey, I want to be, I want to be a minister. When did you know, like at this point, I want to preach. I want to, I want to go into ministry. Um, was there a certain thing that kind of clicked? Did somebody tell you, did it just kind of fall into your lap? How did, how did it play out? Well, you know, I don't leave a lot to chance, but I think it started actually when I was a freshman in college. Now I was going, I grew up, went to church uh, outside of Aurora, between Aurora and Rising Sun there at Holmes Hill. So I'd been exposed to, went to school there. Uh, I'd been exposed to, to the word all my life. Um, but it really didn't happen or click, if you will, until I actually went to Center Square. And uh, I went with uh, extended friends, family, and met Don Truesdale and Don's like, why don't you do some preaching on Sunday nights? And then uh, I did some preaching down at Vivi. You're, you're familiar with Vivi. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I, I, I did some fill-in work there. And then Richard Rutledge was there after that. And I spoke for him at times. And um, then it just went from that way. Wow. You know, I don't know that I knew that. I didn't know that you were even connected, uh, that you got connected through Center Square or VV or any of that. Um, I, I knew Holmes Hill. I knew you were a uh, Holmes Hill sure. guy. Life or there all my yeah. life. Yeah, but yeah. I, I don't know, man. I, I don't. Uh, and in fact, you know, what's really funny is, is the, the one thing that I remember about Holmes Hill um, is when I was a kid, we used to do um, in the Whitewater area, which you're very familiar with, obviously, and we'll get into that here in a second. But um, we used to do youth rallies. Do you remember that? You remember when like youth ra- youth rallies were going on? They'd had like they'd go through the list of like every church, every youth rally they had, and they you know call out a name in the Whitewater area, and somebody'd say, "Yeah, we got four and. <clears throat> Yeah, this group has 21 and like the winner got like a pig or something to take home with them, the stuffed pig or something. Right. Uh, Holmes Hill, Holmes Hill hosted like an Olympics type thing. I remember one year and we went and you won like different. They had all kinds of different games and stuff like that. And, and, and it's very, very faint in my memory. But I do remember that that was that was at Holmes Hill. Uh, and I don't I don't know if I could tell you. Is there a sign there between Rising Sun and Aurora that, that tells you where Holmes Hill is? Because I know it's in between, but I don't there, know if I could get there. there. There used to be one out on 56 as you cross the bridge, which is Lothry Creek. Yeah. And that's Lothry. There was a church out there and the, set up on the bank side, on, on the farm side, the right side of the road that said, you know, turn right then. And there might have been one. The old parsonage at Holmes Hill the road loops around, which is old 56, comes out, you know, where Charlie and Livia Steele live. Yeah. <clears throat> well, at the far end of that that loop was a, is it used to be a greenhouse, two-story. I don't know what color it would be now. But that used to be the parsonage for Holmes Hill. And there was a sign in that yard. But that's how you knew to get back there. You went place called French, of all things. Wow. Out got, out got that name. I don't know. Now, the Christian Olympics. 
I was uh, the first volunteers for those programs. Okay, okay. Jim Spinotti was the preacher uh, at the time, so it would have been... I didn't know that either. Hmm? I didn't know that either. Oh, yeah, 89 and 90. He was there 89, 90, maybe 91. He And maybe into 92, maybe four years, caught his span of time there. And he's the one, they did the Christian Olympics at Lima. And he brought that concept with him. And the neighbor that owned the property adjacent to the church is where the obstacle courses were put up. And the way it went, you, there were, it was divided by age. So junior elementary was in the churchyard, upper high school, middle school was over in the field. So their challenges were different. Um, But the top three, in order to determine the prize winner, the top three in each event of the Olympic went to a table where a Bible drill was conducted. And that's how you determine placement. It wasn't with the activity itself. It was who won the Bible drill. I remember that that was a lot of fun. Um, I, I remember, I remember just the whole, um, the whole process of it. It was just a lot of fun. You know what? I couldn't have told you at the time where all these churches they named off were. Uh, and it wasn't until old. In fact, I would say that there's a few of them, even to this day. Um, I couldn't tell you a whole lot about them. I just remember looking like, you know, looking at them on the list and, and just being like, oh man, where in the world is coffee Creek? Like, you know, or where in the world is, you know, all these different places, but, uh, man, those are some good memories back in the day. Oh, they are. But now to not to distort your memory, but Holmes Hill kind of always operated outside of the whitewater area historically. I don't know if you're aware of that or not. Now that didn't mean I did personally, but, um, for the most part, they, they navigated and fellowshiped with churches out of, uh, Lima, Ohio, Fort Wayne, Indiana, um, Brazil, Indiana, Mishawaka, Indiana. They were really far-reaching churches that I grew up. That's kind of way out of the way, huh? It was, but, you know, I'm not going to waste your time or my time trying to explain (laughs) behind all of that. I hear you. Well, um, so... So, so you grew up, you grew up in that area. You, you go into ministry, you start your ministry. Did you, did you go to Bible college somewhere or did you go to college anywhere? Or did you just kind of jump in and know, cause you knew somebody or how did that work out? Well, I have a, officially I have a degree in business. It's primarily focused in accounting. Um, so Bible college has not happened for me. Um, I have attended classes and courses, seminars, those things, but I do not possess a degree in divinity. No. Um, I, I ended up uh, leaving, which Center Square, or excuse me, uh, Scenic View was a part-time ministry. And as you know, um, there isn't any such thing as part-time ministry it's part-time pay but part-time ministry does not exist if you care about ministry it's full-time that's right so so as a young man um an opportunity came about in frankfurt um through a revival that i'd preached somewhere along the line as a young whippersnapper uh and they they called me to um become their full-time preacher in 93 i was there then i wound up uh, going farther south into Kentucky, 
um, down the, the 127 corridor out of Frankfurt to a place called Lincoln County. And I was there for five years. Then I ended back up here in Trimble County, back toward home. For the record, um, I, I am not a believer in you have to go to Bible college to be a preacher. Obviously, um, I, I it's okay that you if you have or if you haven't, but you know that's not a make or break for me. Just questioning, but but I would say this: um, Was there ever a point in your life where you were like, man, if I don't if I don't preach, I want to do this, whatever this is. I know you do some farming and stuff like that. Was was that kind of if this preaching thing doesn't work out or was it like, it's definitely going to work out? Well, not, you know, my, my life story is pretty simple. I grew up in the church much like you. So these things come as natural to me as anything. When I began, when I felt the call to preach, when that tug was there and I couldn't avoid it and God seemed to be opening doors for me, I never, I never necessarily looked at the failure side of it or had an escape plan or a parachute. Um, I walked away from a potential family business to go into ministry when I graduated. I mean, I was, I, my education was based on taking over a family business. Yeah. And, and I walked away from that in my senior year. I, I told my, my father specifically that, the trucking industry would not be where I would go. Um, that was not, not necessarily an easy conversation for a man who raised eight children and started a business in the middle of all of that and worked really hard um, to provide for his family and wanted to see, you know, his family business go on through the family. And um, that was a hard time. It was bittersweet, I guess. At the yeah. same time, I did feel a sense of freedom from the burden I'd been carrying about sure. how I tell my father that I was not going to go down that. Um, I, I got to stop you there for a minute because I don't know that I knew this seven or you have seven siblings. Um, Part of seven of you there. Well, there's seven of us. Um, there's uh, four girls, three boys, but along the way there was a niece that my parents took care of as well. Wow. Okay. I, I don't know. So that I knew that. And um, so as it was, I, I left that. I never looked back. Now I've held, I've been bivocational. Um, even while being quote unquote full-time, I drove a school bus, um, which you had to have health insurance and I had children. So I did that to supplement that. Um, Life has a way, I guess, of completing your journey, whether you think it or not. I do enjoy agriculture tremendously. It is, an, it is, it is something I find to be as amazing as this might sound, uh, a stress reliever. Okay. Um, I, I have a good time thinking while I'm in the middle of a tractor driving down a field. But yeah. um, ministry has always been the priority for me. I never looked at it any other way. Yeah. Um, so so you've been, I can't believe I didn't know that, by the way, I, I should know that. I didn't, I didn't know that you had that many siblings, but are, do they still, are they still in the area? A lot of them? They all, they all live pretty much in Versailles and Aurora and Milan. Okay. Okay. Um, so, so you're, you're, you're approaching, 
you're approaching 30 years or you're at 30 years of ministry and you've probably seen all kinds of things. Um, I'm assuming in ministry, you've seen, uh, you've probably had all kinds of questions. You've probably seen, uh, maybe issues within the home. You've seen addiction problems. You've seen all kinds of stuff happen. My question for you today and kind of the topic of where we wanted to go with today's episode is, have you ever been asked the question, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, absolutely. I say yes to that question. I I think anyone that does any preaching or even teaching a class in a church building has encountered why is there permissive suffering on this earth? And, and, you know, beyond that, I'm not trying to jump ahead of what you may have. I mean, I, I think I would add to that statement is, you know, why can, how can a loving God allow such misery? And going back to things I've learned in ministry, the, you're going to see as you grow in, in length of time that there, as you look back, there are probably things early on in your own ministry career that you wish you could go back and change. One of those things for me is um, my, in my first full-time ministry where I, that's what I did. There was, it was the winter of 94 and Kentucky was besieged with a blizzard of, of heavy snow, two feet in some places, hmm. 71. 75, the major arteries in Kentucky were closed down. And we're out in rural Frankfurt area outside of the beaten path. And a lady has a granddaughter that gives birth to twins and they die at birth. And I'm, I'm expecting, my wife and I are expecting our first child at that time. It was very real to me. I was very young. And uh, the funeral was delayed because of the snow cover and they couldn't dig the grave. So that grieving process was extended. And I never felt like was so inadequate in my life to address the sorrow of that family with those precious, beautiful twins. And it was graveside on top of that only they couldn't afford wow. anything. That was traumatic to me. I wish I could go back and change some things, things that I've learned through the hard school of, of hard knocks. Um, So suffering, yes, people have asked that numerous times. How can a loving God allow such horrible things? You know, there's a, um, there's, there's probably numerous stories, you know, I could, I could probably focus on Paul and, you know, Paul's how, you know, Paul is, is, is doing the will of God. You know, he's, he's, he's planning churches. He's, you know, he's, telling people about Jesus. He's preaching the gospel to people. Um, yet numerous times he finds himself in prison or he's beaten or, you know, he's, he's going through some sort of mess in his life. And, and, and if I'm Paul in these situations, you know, when he's sitting in, in jail, we know for a fact, he wrote, you know, four letters while he was, you know, we call them the prison epistles, you know, and he's, he's in, he's in jail writing these things and a lot of the time it's because for no reason, right? He's in there, he's in there for, he didn't do anything wrong. And yet he's still spending time in this bad situation. If I'm Paul in those situations, my question is, is why God are you allowing this to happen? Like if I'm trying to do what you want me to do, I'm trying to live my life. And yet 
you're allowing this to, 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 to happen to me. Why, why would you do that? I think probably the, the, the uh, maybe the most famous one in the Bible is, is Job. And, you know, you go to Job's story and, you know, and in, in Job chapter one, you know, it talks about how um, says there was this man who was named Job and he was blameless and he was upright in the eyes of God. Right. He feared God and he uh, says he shunned evil. Um, he's this guy who is such a, a, a good man, according to this, according to the Bible. And yet um, through this, we, we know he's a wealthy man. Uh, and the devil comes and, and, and talks to God and almost almost bargains with God and says, hey, look, you know what? If we took this stuff away from him, he, he wouldn't he wouldn't be as blameless as as you say. He wouldn't be this upright man. And he he would he would probably fall into evil and all this kind of stuff. And so he's like, let me let me let me take care of this. And God's like, OK, you know, you can do whatever you want. Just don't harm him. You know, don't don't kill him. Right. And we find this story of Job, maybe we've even asked the same question ourselves is how, how can this happen to somebody who is, is blameless and upright? How can this happen to Paul when Paul is doing what he's doing? How can this happen to, how can bad things happen to good people? Well, I, I think the answers that I have uh, given through the years um, may seem to some simplistic, but I think overall it's, uh, it's the worldview that each of us have and how we view God in the role of the world. Some you know, people believe that God started the clock in motion, then he's moved himself outside of it. Others believe that God can intercede and does intercede and, and, and changes things. Um, but I think the, the Bible gives us some clear insight if we look at it across the entire word of God to why people suffer. And, and I think, first of all, for me, when we look at and we, we say, why do good people suffer? How do we define good? Who, are, who, who gets to be classified as worthy and who is classified as unworthy when Jesus himself said the rain comes to the just and the unjust. So, so who gets to decide who's worthy and who gets to decide who isn't worthy? Are, are we sent, you know, as I look at the book of Job and he's a classic example of suffering yeah. and, and some, some suggest, you know, maybe you've even thought that this is kind of a wager as such between God and the devil. and that the devil is taunting God to bring harm purposely into Job's life to prove that God is uh, wrong about Job. And does God do that with us today? And I've heard people say, well, what God brings you to, he'll bring you through. Um, Those those cliches, those, those fancy slogans that we put up, you know, and, and we talk about what goes around comes around and we hear people talk about good karma, bad karma. And I, and I think that that is illustrating probably uh, a worldly approach to what indeed is a spiritual lesson and it doesn't work that way. Do you think in those moments um, where um, people go through things? You know, maybe it's maybe it's an illness 
in a, in a family member, or maybe even personally in their own life, or, or maybe, you know, someone's house burnt down or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a, a struggling family conflict or whatever it is, loss of a job. Do you think in those moments um, it's less about why is this happening to me and pointing more towards who this is about and less about why? Well, I think you're on to something there. We live in a, in a culture that's, that's all about me. And so, so when we, when we see or experience personal tragedy and, you know, you, you've experienced tragedy in your own life. I've experienced it in my life. I, I think in those moments when we're in the situation, when we're in the eye of the storm, the storm is bigger than it might really be to us. And we run, we run the risk of, in fact, making it all about me, not, not even as to the why or where it comes from, but, but it is, it is, how could this happen to me? And you pointed out Job and you brought up Job. There are only two people that I can think of in scripture that God ever allowed suffering directly over and above what is normal to man. And that would be Job. And that is his own son. And in both cases, I think Job is a prelude to how Jesus functions in our own life and the atonement that Jesus gives. That's good. I think, I think as we look at Job back to Job, was Job not, was he a man without sorrow? Does anything in the book of Job indicate that Job had never experienced sorrow or personal tragedy? Yeah, no. Yeah. No, there isn't. What we find is, is that the excess of it, the excess of it. Right. Job, sin brings about pain. He does. It does. We know that. You know, and I know that. The originator of pain and suffering is the devil. Right. So he, knowing this, brought, was allowed to excessively come against Job. Job was not a man without sorrows. I haven't met a man yet that's successful that hasn't experienced tragedy and heartache along the way to get there. So Job, in essence, is no different than me and you. He had calamity in excess. Do you think that that Job was a... Um... Do you think that he was a strong man as far as his, his, uh, his, maybe his, uh, I'm trying to think of the word that I'm trying to use here, but do you think he was not just physically strong, but do you think that he, he was strong because of the things that he went through? Do you think this made him a stronger person, uh, because of this? Because what I know and, and you know is that some of the strongest people that I've ever met, uh, are the ones who've maybe been through the, the deepest stuff in their life. Um, you know, they've went through some of the hardest times and came out stronger because of it. Well, I, I think you're right. I, you know, I, I look at my own life, for example, the some of the hardships that I have endured probably has allowed me to expand ministry in ways that previously I could not have done. That doesn't mean I want to purposely endure hardship just for the sake of ministry. Sure. That wouldn't be rational. Right. But you know, uh, a recovering alcoholic can talk to other alcoholics in a way that I cannot. 
because I haven't suffered with that sin. I haven't dealt with that problem, that addiction. So they have something that I don't have. But those things I have experienced. So yes, I think Job exhibited a relationship with God that God was keenly aware of, and Satan too, for that matter. And as a result of that, God had confidence that Satan, or that, that, that given the opportunity of the storm, that, that Job could weather it, could weather it because of past history. I don't think Job just woke up one day and was overnight wealthy and had this beautiful family yeah. and everything. Dory. I think there were steps along the way, trial and error that brought Job along with his own relationship with God to that place. And Job was older, by the way, for his children were married and away from home. So, yes, I, I forgot about that. Um, I guess maybe then ask, then comes across the question. And I mean, you kind of talked about this already a little bit. Um, does God cause pain? God. Or, I mean, if God is, if God is in control, if God is God and he's all powerful, he's all knowing he's everywhere. Does he cause the pain? Does he cause cancer does he cause whatever it is that we're going through well the short answer is no but that doesn't satisfy a person who's in the midst of pain so i, I think we have to expand that answer and simply say that god does not cause harm in our lives god does not purposely tempt us nor does he want to hurt us. Now, does he, dis does he discipline and chasten us? Yes. But we brought about death. We brought about sorrow and pain and, and sickness. In the Garden of Eden, those things were forever changed. God said, if you disobey me, this will be the result of your actions. So the cause of suffering is Satan. And our inability to overcome the temptations that he may throw our way. So I guess maybe maybe the way of, of putting it then is that God doesn't necessarily cause the cause it, but we could say that God allows it. There is there is permissive will and there's his divine will. The result of our sin in this this paradigm, this earth that we're living on. Is, is what he said would happen. His divine nature, the character of God, is, is one that, that if we're going to depend upon him to be fair and righteous, he has to be consistent. He told them, if you do this, you will die. Along with death comes all the things that lead to death. We can live a, a grand life, and then one day we hit the wall. I've seen people that appeared healthy, for instance, up into their 50s and 60s. And then all of a sudden, when they get sick, it's a big one. Yeah. So I, I think in this life, sin ushered in the things that God did not want necessarily. Therefore, grace comes into play as God offered a way out through Christ to overcome this world. But understanding the nature of God, God doesn't just stand back and subject us, I don't think, to these things purposely 
but they are a result of our actions long ago, man's actions in general. And suffering is, is where none of us can escape it. Just because I'm a child of God doesn't mean I'm exempt from suffering or I'm going to be blessed extra above anybody else in this world. And that's the problem. We're looking at everything, I think, as part of this world because world perspective. we want an immediate gratification. We want immediate ends to our problems. Yeah. So when it's beyond our ability to control the situation, then we start trying to point blame everywhere we can as we grasp for answers. So, so it's, it's, so what you're saying is, is it's not like, it's not like God ever promised us a storm free life, right? It's God, in fact, said storms will come. I mean, you can go to, uh, I think it's Matthew chapter seven, um, where he talks about building your house on the rock. When the storms come, right, the, the, the one man built his house on the sand. And when the storms came, it, it, it knocked it knocked down the house. Right. And then then the other guy built his house on the rock, which essentially was saying he's building his life on Jesus. And when the storms come, not if the storms come or uh, possibly they might come when the storms come. If you're built on Jesus, if you're built uh, on him, then you're able to withstand the storm, no matter how tough it is, the house will be able to stand because it's built on the right foundation. Absolutely. That, that is, that is spot on, uh, you know, and to further that Jesus said to his disciples, you're going to be hated for me because of me, you will be hated. And I think you, you brought up Paul in the beginning. Paul knew full well that his life was going to be full of hardships because of his relationship with Jesus. He didn't expect him. I mean, you know, you talk about writing letters while in prison. The man was losing his eyesight at the same time. I can only imagine how tough that was. But he stayed the course because, as you said, he had built his life on the foundation that was sure, and that was Jesus. When we see tragedy in the lives of the saints who are faithful to the calling, while it may be difficult and they're heartbroken and they grieve, they understand that this world isn't where it's going to happen. It's in the life to come. We have to hold on. I think it's, I think it's, it's in those moments where we feel like we're alone that actually we're not at all. And, and we talked a little bit about this in the episode with Rowan Bridgewater. We talked about the power of presence, but you know, in Acts chapter 16, when Paul is in prison with Silas, if you remember um, the jailer is there um, even though Saul or Saul, even though Paul is in a bad, bad spot, right? He's in a, he's in a tough, um, he's, he's in jail again for, for something that he didn't do, um, other than just help this woman out. Right. Um, he's in, he's in prison and something is very real to Paul because he's in prison and he's, he's praying and singing hymns to God, um, in those moments, it would be very easy to feel like you're all alone, right? To, to feel lonely, to feel like you're, the storm has hit and, and God is no longer there, except we don't find that in Paul with Paul. Um, we, we know that in those moments, Paul was able to continue doing what he was doing because I have to think that, like you said, Paul was built on a, on a firm foundation rather than the sand. Well, don't you find it interesting that this took place in Philippi, 
with the Philippian jailer. When Paul writes the letter to the church at Philippi, he says in 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, or some say which strengthens me. But in, in that defining moment, I don't believe Paul is using that for a sports analogy. And I love sports, but I don't think that he was trying to motivate the church to rise above. Yeah. I think what he's saying is no matter my situation, I am at peace and my strength comes from a greater source than anything this world offers. And that source is Jesus. I don't have a problem, Micah, with people questioning their suffering or even the origin of it or why they're suffering. I think that that's a normal response in this life. I think people of faith ultimately come to the right answer. They don't blame God, but they embrace God. I like that. There's a big difference. And that's the defining moment for Job. And you know the book of Job. You know the saga that unfolds. He loses his family. He's attacked. He is now afflicted with boils. I don't know if you've ever had one, but they're pretty painful. Just one. Imagine your whole body covered in them. He is got his friends. They come to visit him, to support him. His wife says, curse God and die. Everything is falling apart around him. He goes in, you know, you look look toward the end of the book and Job is questioning his own birth and why God put him on this earth. The oldest book in the Bible. I understand all of that, but I think at the end of the day, what Job learns is God absolutely is in control. God is not absent from our suffering. He is there. As you said, he's present. He's in the storm with us. We're not aware of it at times. It's not till we open our eyes at some point and we embrace God that we see, huh, God really was there. You know, that what 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 did death prevent ahead of this? And sometimes we don't see that immediately. You know, we mourn death, but maybe, maybe death prevented something else from happening that would have been even more traumatic. We don't think about it in those terms. So Job comes to this realization. God, you are to be praised. And even when his friends have blamed him and said, you've really brought the wrath of God on you. You've angered the gods. Yeah. What, what idiot move have you made? And, and he feels all alone and vulnerable. It's at that vulnerable moment that he sees God for who he really is. And he begins to praise and worship God. And as we're at this climatic end, Job reaches out, and what does he do? He forgives his friends. Right. And all that happened to him. And it's at that point that we read at the end of the book that God doubly blesses Job. Yeah. I think if Job abandons God, I think if Job does not forgive his friends, that there's no way Job gets blessed double. He, um, I'm trying to see where it it says, uh, so he has... um, yeah, so so he's able. He, I believe, he has ten more kids. Uh, at the end, he's he's yeah, he's he's blessed as you said, blessed with with more livestock and um, all, all through all through this mess. Um, it was almost as if Job 
this was a, this was a learning curve or a learning process for Job, um, kind of like we all have at different points in our life. But um, it, it isn't that God wasn't there. I think it was more that God was in those moments. It's it's not that God is causing it, but God is allowing it. I think because it's it's for us an opportunity for us to lean into Him into those moments and say, God, I I need you. <laughs> I can't do this on my own. Well, James says it this way, God resists the proud. If you refuse God, God is going to refuse you. In our, in our moments of tragedy, and, and basically everybody's life is a tragedy. Yeah. If you think no one escapes the tragedy of life. So when we turn to God, I think first and foremost, we gain understanding of how life really works. Because I'll be honest with you, I'm 51, headed toward 52. I've been preaching for 30 years. Ministry has seldom gone the way I envisioned that it would go. As, as I have progressed through preaching, a lot of people said my preaching has gotten better through the years. I don't think that it's that I've changed my study habits, so to speak, or whatever else. I think my understanding of life and my understanding of God has progressed. Yeah. Therefore, my relationship with God personally has improved over time. Sure. I, and, I, and I have a greater appreciation for the depravity of man in itself and the heartache that man goes through. And I, I don't like to hear cold, callous preachers who offer no sense of hope. And when you have a crowd on a Sunday morning, you may know that crowd. And if you blaze through a sermon and you don't give people hope and you don't give people a sense of God is there, I don't care what you've just preached about. I think you've failed. I think no matter what subject matter you're on, you have to present God as a God who loves, who will forgive, who will offer grace, and that there is hope. Joy comes in the morning. No matter the tragedies we're in, they end. They will end. Peace will come. We must cling to the, to the anchor to get through the storm, but it will pass. It will pass. I think that's what I tried to, to get people. I, you know, I look at Romans chapter eight and I take that quite literally. I don't think that we escape abuse and heartache, but I think that God will not allow us to be overcome by these things. If we'll remain faithful to him. Yeah. They won't define us. Yeah. And, 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 and two, wouldn't you agree that, that ultimate healing is heaven, right? I mean, heaven, heaven is the place where, where ultimate healing takes place. Heaven is a place where there isn't any sin. There's only righteousness. That's right. So it all ends when we get to heaven. And I would also, I would also say that, um, yeah, I, I don't know that I, I think God uses everything, right? He uses everything for his glory. He doesn't waste a thing. So you know, God, God can take, you know, a suffering that you've been in, in your life and turn around and use it, use it for him. You, you kind of alluded to that earlier when you talked about, you know, an alcoholic who maybe struggled with alcohol through it, God can use someone who's been there to minister to someone who's, who is there. 
And um, God can God can take our hard times, the things that we've been through, the struggles that we've uh, maybe, maybe it's a loss of a loved one or whatever it is, but God can use that situation and does use that situation for his glory. Um, I absolutely believe that. Oh, I, I agree with you hundred percent, Micah. I, I think a great challenge for us in the church is to remain compassionate. I think we we sometimes progress in our faith and we make faith about us then and we forget what we once were, sinners condemned before God. And I think that's the greatest challenge for the church. It's not, I mean, there is a certain amount of political evil out there, but I, I, I think that our greatest challenge is for us to remember that we were once in that sinner's shoes and somebody reached out to us. Yeah. And whatever it is, you know, you can use a wedding, you can use a funeral, sad, happy occasions. But those things can be platforms to lead people to Jesus if you choose that. And the tragedies that I have encountered personally have allowed me to develop a greater sense of compassion. And I think about our Lord himself who looked at over Jerusalem and rather than condemn them for what they were going to do to him, he is moved with compassion and he sees them as, as sheep who are scattered across the hillside who needs someone to love them and bring them uh, into the fold. Yeah. And I think the church has to keep that in front of us. We have to. Um, and we, we, we have got to, to use these hard times, not to make us bitter. I, I've seen people suffer through tragedy and it makes them bitter. Um, and that's sad to me. Um, that they get calloused. Um, every situation we go through life comes for various reasons. They don't always mean that we failed. It doesn't mean we did something wrong to get retribution because that there again is the incorrect worldview yeah. and an incorrect view of how God operates in the world. Judgment's being held till the end, not, not in the middle of the game. But there is consequences to our actions. And I think that if we remain faithful, if, if we understand that God brings good, not evil into our lives, that God can use the present sufferings, we don't know who that will reach down the road. Our, as we recover and as our faith is increased, by the way, I think Paul was effective because each suffering that he incurred made him stronger in the end. I don't think Peter, if, if historical legend says that he died upside down by choice on the cross in India, yeah. I, I, Peter only stayed that way because each trial and error brought him closer to the Lord instead of pushing him farther away. And that can be make or break. But proper teaching in this matter is important. That comes from us. Sure. Teaching people that God isn't punishing you and God isn't bringing you trouble into your life here's what god is offering god is offering a way out yeah god is offering renewed hope god is offering something that's more permanent than what this world offers but we've put all our eggs so often into this world that's really good that you said that and i'm glad you did because i i think that's that's the way that a lot of things are you know in anything you can and this could go off on a whole other topic but you know you talk about 
um, you know, people, you know, if, if God loved me, and I think sometimes we have to understand the definition of love. Um, and because I think, I think what the world says love is versus what God says love is are two completely different things. You know, the world says, um, you know, if you love somebody, then, 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 you know, you're kind of open to anything, right? You love them and you, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to hurt their feelings or step on their toes or any of that kind of stuff. And, and I believe that, you know, loving someone is, is, in in a loving way is the having the ability to tell someone, Hey, you know, something that's true, even if maybe they don't want to hear it. Um, you know, uh, if, if my son is riding a bicycle in the middle of the road and he loves to ride his bicycle in the middle of the road, um, you know, that I know that he loves that. Right. But as a father, who loves him, I'm going to say, Hey, get out of the road. You can't get in the road, man. You can't ride your bike there. And, and, and his response could be, but I thought you loved me. This is what I like to do. This is who I am. You have to let me. And I'd say, well, no, actually, because I love you, because I, I know what happens in the road, because I know that you could get hurt or even killed. I'm going to say, Hey man, you need to get out of the road. And I think this, and, and I, and I find that very loving that I, I would tell him that, right. Because I, I kind of want to kind of want to be with him for a while, you know, I kind of want to enjoy uh, him in my life, you know? And so um, God's the same way. I think that, that God is not, I don't think that God is, is being very unloving in these situations where saying, well, if God loved me, why would he allow this? I think God is like you're saying, God has provided a way out for us. Um, I find that incredibly loving. It's just not in the terms that, you know, we, we don't make the terms he, he does. Right. And so, yeah, that, that, that is exactly right. He does set the terms because he is the originator of life. So he gets that right. Sure. You know? But he is, he is holy. Sure. He is just, he is righteous and he, and he doesn't show any favoritism one over the other. Right. I, I think we, we don't have probably time to touch on this. this. And this is another subject matter indeed. One of the things that we, we have to factor in here about suffering is the role of free will. And God is a God of free will and free choice. He hasn't predetermined you or me or anyone else. Now, foreknowledge is different than predetermined god is all-knowing but at the same time he isn't allow he isn't manipulating that to prove he's right yes. he allows free will and that's complicated yeah but in the will of god suffering is there because this world allowed for it to come sure the god world is god in the garden of eden offered Adam and Eve something he didn't have to offer. He offered them salvation even when they didn't deserve it. He offered them renewal. He slew an animal. He provided clothing for them. He didn't end their life. He allowed them to go on living. That's not a cruel God. That's a fair and righteous and loving God. God was going to destroy the earth by water, but then God saw one man. And he stopped his plans. We have to be looking at wor the world the way the Bible teaches us to look at it. 
and the church is consumed with worldliness. We want to look and act like the world. That leads to a lack of faith and disappointment. And then we start blaming God. If we put on the spiritual view and we look at the way God has presented himself in scripture, we see that God, in fact, is the loving God. And it's funny you brought all that out. There are three things that, you know, last forever on this earth beyond the word of God, and that is faith, hope, and love. Paul says the greatest of these is love. If Satan wants to screw things up or mess things up, it would be in that area. Why not distort our understanding of love and confuse it? That's and you good. use a illustration. You love your child, so you teach your child right from wrong and what is safe and unsafe. God uses circumstances to correct our vision if we'll look, look for it. I like it. That's good. Um, before I let you get off here, I know you, you got, you're busy and I appreciate you giving me time today. Um, but if, if there's somebody listening to this right now who maybe is in a storm or they've, they are going through a storm in their life where maybe one of these instances are happening and they, they are following God and they are living their life for him and just can't understand why them, um, what advice would you give to to a person who's maybe in a storm right now in their life where they're they're wondering where is god and why is this happening well undoubtedly i'll go a little bit farther and say anybody listening to this is probably currently experiencing some form of disappointment or discouragement at work or wherever in their life and what i would say to them is first of all pray about the situation honestly pray about it i would say you know be patient be patient i would encourage them not to seek support from a worldly perspective but from fellow christians saints seek out somebody who maybe has experienced something like they're going through find out what what helped them That's um, ultimately turn toward god not away from god Good. I like it. I think that's great advice. Um, you know, that question's probably been asked numerous times in the last year and a half, you know, with everything that's happened. Why, why, why this, why is this happening? Um, but man, so much good stuff. Thank you so much for hopping on today. I appreciate uh, you giving me, like I said, giving me time out of busy schedule. I know you, you do all kinds of stuff there in Milton. I got to get over to uh, occasionally when I'm in, in the Bedford area, which is very seldom, but I got to get over to the Bedford area because I love Braze, man. I'm a, I'm a Braze orchard guy. I love uh, their peaches and um, just kind of the, I, I think the, the first time I ever had, I had a jalapeno peach ice cream there. Yeah, that's true. Um, of course, that the old, the original Bray family no longer owns the orchard or, or the business, but they are maintaining the ice cream end of it. And that Jamie, who perfected her and her husband perfected those ice cream flavors, she still makes the ice cream. So you can get it. You can still get it. Uh, peaches are now coming into season here locally. Um, you get down this way, I'll bring, I'll get you some peaches. Um, I can get that done. You come down this way, I'll take you to the great hamburger joint of Hinkle's. Yes. Um, and uh, I appreciate the opportunity, this old country boy. Hey. Uh, 
to, to be on your, your podcast. I, I pray for good things. Good things are happening in your ministry, Micah. God is using you in a powerful way. Keep up that. I appreciate uh, that, man. I, I have a lot of respect for you um, and just your, uh, you know, I know my grandfather did as well. Had had tons of respect for you uh, and what you do. And um, I'm, I'm thankful for your friendship, praying for you, praying for your ministry. And uh, are you going to be at Hillsboro next week, Any? I plan on being there on Thursday, so I'll see you. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks for uh, hopping on, man, and uh, and we'll talk to you soon, all right? All right, pal. Take right, care. This has been a Behind the Micah podcast. Thanks for tuning in. Make sure you check us out next week. And remember, we're always striving to love God, love others, and serve both.